0: Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Good morning. How are you guys? That was horrible. How are you guys? <laughs> goodness sakes! I'm leaving, John. <clears throat> no, so good to be with you guys. Um, if you're as tired as I am of the cold and snow, my goodness, I'm, I'm this week. I am moving to Phoenix. So this is the last time I will be here. I'm not done with the snow. It's just awful. Hey, I want to invite you to something before we jump in the message here. Um, this coming Wednesday night at our Fort Collins campus on Timberline Road, we're starting our midweek service, 6:45 on Wednesdays. we go for about 10 weeks here. And I'm starting a new teaching series called "Culture Wars and Christian Ethics," What the Bible has to say about race, gender, sexuality, politics and more. Um, if you notice it says, starts January 18th, that didn't happen snow, another reason I want to move. Um, So we had to cancel actually our first week. So this coming up Wednesday will be our first week of this series. We'd love to see you guys there. We've got uh, kids programming through middle school and it should be a good time. It's time of uh, worship, uh, teaching, and communion. So we'd love to see you there for that. As Pastor John mentioned, we're, we're diving into this series on the book of Mark, the, the first gospel ever written, the shortest gospel written, and um, this morning, I just want to look at the first 13 verses, and if you have your Bibles open or turn them on, you can follow along. There will be some up on the screen as well. <clears throat> Let me do this before we jump into it. You know, it, it's always important to know the context of a letter, it could be a personal letter sent to, to you, kind of knowing the who it's from, who it's to, and the occasion, like what's going on, why was it written? So let me, let me do it this way. If you can try to use your imagination for just a minute, and imagine that you go back in time and in space to the first century, to, to Rome, Italy, and you're, you're a believer and you're assembled on the Lord's Day on Sunday Sunday, like we are today in a respect, but not in a beautiful, warm church like this, not in a beautiful cathedral. Instead, you're forced to gather, huddled together, literally underneath the city of Rome as the persecutions of the emperor are raging above the city ground. And if it's discovered by the authorities that you were here, today, that, or even that you're a Christian, you'll be arrested and you'll receive the death penalty in a pretty grotesque manner. So this morning, you're in a cold, dark tomb under the city of Rome, the catacombs, you're in a crypt or a vault or a tunnel somewhere in the catacombs, and you're surrounded by the dead, some fresh human cadavers, some older... Skeletons, and then someone comes to your secret meeting and they're going to read you something that was just recently written. It's the first of these ever written, and it was just written maybe months ago. The gospel according to Mark. This guy, John Mark, he had traveled with the apostle Paul for a while, but they got sideways, he kind of got fired. So then he kind of became a student of Barnabas and traveled with him for a while. We know later he became a student of Peter, the apostle, who was in Jesus's like three closest friends during his time here. And most of this content that he writes in this short book that we're studying actually comes from Peter, but through the pen, through the lips of John Mark. So if you can place yourself in that setting, Okay, you're in about 60, 80, 65 as you hear these words read for the very first time written to you, a Roman, under persecution. Mark 1:1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, straight, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I'm going to ask you this morning to consider this text in a way that maybe you never quite have before. I believe that Mark's doing a lot of things here, but one thing he's doing is he's bringing three stories together, and he wants you to see how these three stories intertwine and connect and inform one another and really inform what's going on here. Three stories. I believe Mark wants you to see the story of creation, Genesis 1 and 2. I think he wants you to see the story of the exodus and the wilderness experience of Israel. And then he wants you to see how these persecuted Roman Christians, how their story, if I had a third arm, arm—that this would be a perfect illustration, how their story intersects with the story of creation and the story of exodus and wilderness. You, you with me? Okay. <clears throat> so let's do this. Let's, let's jump into the first story. The story of creation. Mark is he's dropping a bunch of hyperlinks in his 13 verses here to make the reader think about wait, something that's happening here is informed by something that happened on page one, two, and three. Now you might go, I didn't see that. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> let me let me do this. Let me pick out just seven phrases, these hyperlinks that Mark drops in, and let me just give you those and see what passage of scripture your mind goes to. Uh, The beginning, spirit was above or hovering over the water. Something came up out of the water. God's son was there. It was among wild animals, tempted by Satan, and finally clothed with garments of animal skins. What does that sound like? Yeah, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And that's what it's supposed to sound like. These are little hyperlinks that the author is intentionally dropping in to make you go, well, this story, I know this story. You're but that sounds like that story there. So you're, you're supposed to think of this creation story that comes in. Now, one kind of thought you might have is, wait a minute, what do you mean God's son is there? Oh well, yeah, Adam. To the Jewish mind, Adam is a son of God. Uh, if you want an example for this, go to Luke's Gospel, Um, Of the four Gospels, only Luke and Matthew have genealogies. If you go to Luke's genealogy, you know, he starts with uh, Jesus and Joseph, and he goes along genealogy. The very end of Luke's genealogy, listen to how he ends it. This is Luke 3.37. The son of Methuselah, we're just jumping in the end. The son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalolo, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam is God's son. That's how Adam was spoken of. God was Adam's father. Therefore, he is a son. You're supposed to think of Jesus as a type of Adam. In fact, you're supposed to think of Jesus as the last Adam. Paul does. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 15.45. Paul writes this, Thus it is written... The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, and he in context is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. His point here is Adam, was a, Adam gave us life physically. Jesus has given, the last Adam has given us life spiritually. You're supposed to think, oh, Jesus is like a type of Adam. Okay, I get that connection there. And just like Adam in the garden Jesus, the second Adam in the wilderness, confronts and is tempted by that same original rebel, Satan, who was there. But now, we do have to think there's actually a difference in the circumstances of the temptation, right? Um, Adam and Eve, they were in a lush garden, abundance of food, lacking nothing. Their bellies were full when the temptation comes. Adam and Eve are in intimate relationship with one another. They have a male-female fellowship that's untouched by sin as they have this temptation. How about the last Adam, the second Adam? Are his circumstances different? (laughs) Yeah, he's he's in a desolate wilderness. It's not lush. Um, It's solitary. He has no human companionship. Further, he's in the middle of a fast. He's bodily hungry, starving. And it's only in this weakened, lonely condition that the prince of the underworld comes to do his worst to the second Adam. And this is where the dissimilarity ends and the similarity begins again, because at this point, the test is exactly the same. When Satan came to Adam and Eve, he came with a question, right? Has God really said? <laughs> he comes to Jesus with a question. If, if, if you really are the son of God, the issue is, for both of them, am I going to trust and believe the word of God? See, this passage, Mark 1, all of these little hyperlinks are to the story of creation. Listen to, let me, let me read you one commentator, David Garland. He wrote a commentary on the book of Mark, and he said this. I love his words. He says, the same spirit that once hovered over the primeval waters in the beginning of time, like Genesis 1, now descends on Jesus, and listen to how he puts it, to liberate the earth from the stronghold of chaos, And a voice unheard for, age upon age, (laughs) sounds forth, announcing a decision made long ago in the eternal council. And he goes on to say, many thought the end time would be like the beginning. Creation would be renewed, paradise restored, and the hovering of God's spirit on Jesus like a dove was a sign new creations begun the beginning of the gospel is then also the beginning of new creation. This time, however, the Spirit hovers over a human being, not a formless void, which suggests that God intends to transform humanity, not the formless void. God's goal now With Jesus coming, he wants to have a new humanity. He's offering a new way to be human. That is what is being transformed here. The point is that God has started making a new kind of humanity. And the best part, he says, it's open to you. You can step into this. This is why throughout the rest of the uh, gospel, we hear this phrase, Jesus will say things, oh, you'll hear this as we're we're studying. Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right there. It's like you can open the door and walk in. You're invited into this new way of being human. So the story of creation, Mark wants us to see that, okay? He wants to see that there's something about this story of creation that's coming together. New creation has broken through into the here and now, through the person of Jesus, and we're invited. Okay. Second, second story he wants you to see, story of creation. Then he wants you to see the story of the exodus and the wilderness, and these things are all coming together, and they're intertwined and playing off one another. <clears throat> I'll, I'll read the passage in uh, Mark, but let me just kind of set it up. Many of you know the story of the exodus and the wilderness experience, but let me frame it so as we read it, we go, oh, I see. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Think about just as Israel is it's called out of Egypt into the wilderness. And you remember before they go into the wilderness, they have to pass through a water. Do you remember what the water is? The Red Sea, right? So they, have, they're called, they, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea. Later, they get, in, <clears throat> get into the land. They're tested. They fail the test. We know how that goes. As a result, they're sent out to the wilderness Not in a good way, for 40 years, right? It's a a judgment on them, okay? That's the context. Listen to Mark 1, 4 through 5, and then 12. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, Jesus gets baptized, and then we read, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 not years, but days, tempted, being tempted. Now, <clears throat> here's you might have one question come into your mind. You might just pause and think, okay, wait a minute. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for sin. Um, do you see the problem? <laughs> um, Other gospels, in fact, point out the problem more clearly. One gospel says, John just said, hey guys, this is baptism about repentance for sin. And then of the mass throngs of crowds, there's one guy who comes forward and it's Jesus. And John's response is, behold, it's the Lamb of God, the unblemished one who takes away the sin of the world. You see the problem (laughs) that's surfacing here. Um, Why should Jesus, sinless, submit himself to a ceremony that's instituted to cleanse one from sin if he's sinless. In fact, there's another one of the Gospels where they're kind of confused about that too. In fact, John says, you should be baptizing me, Jesus, not the other way around. Well, here's, here's what we need to realize. We know that Jesus identified with us in his death, right? We talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus, we get that, he he identifies with us in our death, but before he did that, he had to identify with us in our life, in how we live. And and what's our life? Our life is to be a repentant one, that is turning away from self-rule to God. So he's identifying with us, not just in our death, but first, even in our life. Our redeemer doesn't have to just die. First, he has to live a life of perfect obedience. Jesus knew that he needed to submit to, as he put it, every word that proceeded from the lips of the Father. He knew he had to fulfill the law. Jesus is saying to John here, when he says, hey John, I want you to baptize me. What he's saying to him is this, Every requirement that God gave his people, you and everyone else here, I have to obey. So even though I'm not a sinner, I have to identify with you, John. And then the language he puts it in Matthew uh, 3.15, Jesus' final answer is he says this, let it be done now. Why? In order to fulfill all righteousness. He has to fulfill all righteousness. This is a baptism of repentance. This is also important. Where is it taking place? Certainly the Jordan River. Where's the Jordan River? This, it's in the wilderness, right? <clears throat> it's in the, the wilderness is significant for the role that it plays. Let me, let me give you kind of an um, illustration maybe here. Um, how many of you have seen... Uh, the, uh, this is what I call the theology of Rocky Balboa, Okay. Um, have you seen the Rocky movies? If, if, if you or if you're a parent and you have a child who's like 12 or older, if you have not shown them Rocky at least one through four, just get up now, go, watch it. You, you don't need the rest of this. <clears throat> okay, like that's, This is must-watch. Five, you can skip. Six and beyond, it's optional. But one through four is really important. Okay, <clears throat> the story of Rocky, what happens? He's a, he's a scrappy young guy. Do you remember where he trains? Remember his trainer? What's his trainer's name? Mickey, goodness sakes, <coughs> we're going to have a screening. John, next Friday, screening here, um, <coughs> quizzes afterwards. So his, his trainer, Mickey, remember, he, he runs uh, Mighty Mickey's uh, gym, and that's where Rocky works out, right? And it's kind of this dirty place. It's sort of smelly. But everyone there is hungry to win, right? They're all just like, they've got the eye of the thank you, <coughs> Um and so do you know what happens, though? So he, you know, he's, he's hungry, he, he wins heavyweight, he becomes heavyweight, and then what happens to Rocky? He's fat and happy, he's kind of living the good life, and then, of course, there's another scrappy young guy who comes up beats him, and this is kind of what happens again and again, but they're all great. And so what, what he learns is, oh, I've got to go back to Mickey's gym. Right? I've, got, I've got to get that hunger back. I've got to get that passion, that excitement, that love for this, because I don't love it like I used to love it, right? You know what I mean by that? That's, that's what happens. That's the wilderness, the concept of the wilderness to the Israelites. When, when we first went into the wilderness, man, God and I, we were so close. It was so beautiful. There was this hunger for God, When I was there. That's what uh, William Lane 1 Commentary uh, brings up when he says this right here. He says, the biblical concept of repentance is coming back into like true sonship, is what he's saying. It's coming home. However, it's deeply rooted, he says, in wilderness tradition, that first time in the wilderness. And he says, um, in Old Testament prophecy, the, the call to turn basically means return to our original relationship with the Lord. This means a return to the beginning of God's history with his people, a return to the wilderness, Mickey's Gym, where you had that hunger. Essential to the prophetic concern with repentance and all the prophets, he says, is the concept of Israel's time in the wilderness, listen this, as a period of true sonship with God, a status of sonship into which the Lord is now saying, I'm gonna lead my people back to that in the future. So God's saying, I'm not gonna literally take you out into the wilderness. (laughs) It's not like I have, you know, you don't literally have to go to Mickey's gym to get the hunger back, but do you remember what it was like? And God says, I'm gonna bring that back in relationship to you. And that closeness. Do you remember that time when you you were so aware of your dependence on God? I mean, deeply aware. And God, like, you saw him meeting those needs on just regular basis. And there was just this intimacy and a closeness. He goes, I'm going to bring that back times 10. That's what I'm offering you. So when I speak of the wilderness, I'm talking of what we found there what we found at that time. So Mark is telling us that through this account, that there's a, in this account there's the new creation and you stepping into a new humanity, a new kind of way of being human, along with what came from the wilderness and the exodus, that intimacy, that hunger, that closeness to God. And now the third thing, your own story weaving in with those two. Your personal story. We'll start with the personal story of the hearers of Rome. Remember again, where were the Roman Christians when they, he or she, listened to these words for the very first time? Where were they at? (laughs) They're under the city. They're in the cold tombs of the dead. Knowing that tomorrow, Nero's men might arrest them, find them, See, Nero had, had publicly blamed the Christians for the famous um, uh, fires of Rome. AD 64, fires broke out that devastated Rome like we cannot imagine. For seven days, seven straight days, the fires went. They got them put out. They started back up again. Seven of the wards in Rome were utterly destroyed. In fact, there was much talk that Nero himself had actually started the fires. It's very reasonable. But what he did is he looked for a scapegoat, and he found those antisocial atheists called Christians, atheists because they don't worship all the gods, (laughs) and he picked them, and he said, they're the ones (coughs) who started the fire. And so as a result, the persecution ramped up like we couldn't believe. And so common death penalties, would you might be thrown into the Colosseum, release the wild animals, lions to come out and devour people just for sport. Another thing that Nero did was he would take Christians while they were alive and he would cover them in pitch or tar and then tie them to a post, light them on fire at nighttime just to illumine his private gardens. Or another thing that was done is they they would freshly kill an animal take the outer parts of the animal, the skin, and so forth, and tie up a Christian in that animal's skin, and then release a pack of feral dogs. And of course, the dogs would think, well, this is just that animal, and they would maul the humans, the children, eat them alive. And I wonder, thinking of the story of the persecuted Romans intersecting with these other stories, I wonder... What these Christians thought when they're hiding down there, knowing tomorrow that could happen. When they read this verse about a man named John came and he was clothed with camel's hair. I wonder if one of them ever thought, well, that's what happened to my brother yesterday. I saw him him get killed. Or I wonder what they thought in their story when They heard of this Jesus who was driven into the wilderness. And it's interesting that Mark includes he was out there with the wild animals. See, what they knew was this. My Lord has been here too. And what they realized was that if if my story is connected with Jesus and his story, then these other two parts, what comes with, new, with, with creation and that restored relationship with God, I get that too. If my story is connected with Jesus' story, I have a new way of being human. This is a Jesus-led transhumanism. It's the only one I'd trust. They're, they're not just delivered out of something, out of Egypt. They're delivered into a status with the creator of the universe. And you might think, I'm sure they thought, well, that sounds like a good offer. <clears throat> what's, the, what's the catch? Yeah, there's, there's one catch. The catch is in Mark 1, 10 through 11. <clears throat> and when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the spirit the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased the key is I can't do this in my own power that's the catch it's only by the power of the Spirit. Do you realize, you know, you might sometimes wonder yourself, I've thought, why did Jesus need to have the Spirit? He's, he's co-equal, co-eternal, that's what our creeds say, with the Father and the Spirit. Can't he just do all this stuff on his own? Sure, out of his divine nature, he can. But we have a God who veiled his divine nature, didn't access any of those attributes. And everything he did, his teaching, his miracles, raising the dead, whatever, he did it out of his human nature, empowered by the Spirit and in in obedience to the Father. Why did he do that? Because that's how you have to live. (laughs) That's how I have to live, out of my human nature, empowered by the Spirit and in obedience to the Father. And he fully identified with us in his life. So he's living the lives we live. He's not cheating. (laughs) He's living a fully human life. And I don't know what, you know, as you think about these two stories, the creation and the, and the exodus, and, and I don't know how your story is intersecting with those. I would, I would guess there's probably a lot of things similar from your story to mine. I would guess there's probably a number of things that are really dissimilar from your story to mine. But I do know that the secret sauce is the same. For me to be connected with Jesus' story... And this new creation, new way of being human, and this restored relationship, that passion that came from the wilderness, the secret is the indwelling of of Christ through his spirit. William Temple is is someone I'm quite fond of. He was uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury a number of years ago. And he said something about this concept that's always struck me. He said, um, it's futile if, if you give me a play like, uh, like Hamlet or King Lear, and then tell me to write a play like Shakespeare can do, but that I can't. And he said, similarly, it's no good if you give me a life like the life of Jesus, and then tell me to live a life that he can, but I can't. And then he said this, but if the genius of Shakespeare could somehow come and live in me, I could write plays like that. And the the message of Mark 1 1 through 13, you guys, are his last words. And if the spirit of Jesus, he says, could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. And that's available. To us, let me pray for us, Heavenly Father. We we pause and we recognize, Lord, from your gospel that the life that you've called us to cannot be lived in our own strength and our own planning, our own intelligence. <clears throat> that just leads to human history one broken thing after another. God, we long to step into this new humanity to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be transformed. So, Father, we, we pause and we recognize the need for your Holy Spirit's work and activity in our lives. Father, I pray that right now those of us in this room who would say, maybe there's something blocking that. Maybe it's some sort of a rebellious position we're in, maybe if it's just something from our past that it's, it's a hurt and so we're, we're resistant toward your love, God, would you work on those areas in our lives, both now and then even throughout this week as we go into our places where you send us? Would you work on those areas? Would you bring greater transformation? We long to encounter new humanity and that deep, connection with you father as we trek through this book of mark here over these next weeks and months god would you open our eyes and our hearts to see afresh and see anew who you are and what it is that you long for in us and it's in jesus name we pray amen we hope you encountered the love and power of jesus in today's service if you're interested in giving for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.